Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom. This morning, I want to frame my remarks by way of sharing an exchange both silly and sweet, whose significance may prove to be not the story itself, but the fact that I've been here all these years and to the best of my knowledge, have never spoken of this incident to which Debbie and I continue to make loving and regular reference. The year was 1999. Debbie and I had just gotten married and had flown out to Chicago to begin our lives together, Debbie as a teacher and me as a student of divinity. We didn't own a car, and instead of buying one, I had my brother's hand-me-down car shipped to us. In fact, we scheduled that the car be delivered to O'Hare on the same day that our flight was due to arrive, the idea being that I could drive it home from the airport. The designated pickup spot was the O'Hare Hyatt, a three-mile shuttle bus ride away from the airport, a detail that if you're not bored yet is an important detail to remember. Everything was going according to plan. I ran over to the shuttle pickup for the Hyatt, which, if you know O'Hare, is adjacent to the O'Hare Hilton in the middle of the airport. As I was stepping onto the Hyatt shuttle, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a car that looked a whole lot like my brother's car sitting on a flatbed in front of the Hilton. I walked over, and as I got a bit closer, sure enough, it was my brother's, now my car. I identified myself to the flatbed driver, and I began to fill out the paperwork. As we were wrapping up the transaction, I turned to my new friend, I thanked him, and I said something to the effect of, you know, this is really amazing. There I was getting on a shuttle to pick up my car at the Hyatt, and had I not caught a glimpse of you here at the Hilton, and this was all pre-cell phone, I would be standing there, and you would be standing here, and we would have never met up. I received no reaction, so I pressed my point. I said, I mean, don't you think this is amazing? We were supposed to meet at the Hyatt, not the Hilton. And my friend looked at me and said, but why would I go to the Hyatt, which is three miles away, if the Hilton is right here? To which I sputtered. I said, but look at the paperwork, yours and mine. It clearly says our meeting spot is the Hyatt, not the Hilton. Don't you find it remarkable, miraculous even, that we met here and everything worked out so smoothly and it was at this point that he tore off the completed carbon copy from his clipboard, handed me my receipt and walked away, shrugging his shoulders and said, buddy, sometimes you just get lucky. 
The exchange lasted all of three minutes. It happened over 20 years ago and I never saw the guy again. But to this day, whenever something serendipitous happens to me or to Debbie, a parking spot opens up, a chance encounter with an old friend, a bar mitzvah whose Hebrew name is the same name as a protagonist of the Torah reading, or anything for which we have no explanation other than either good fortune or divine intervention, Debbie will turn to me or I to her and we will whisper, buddy, sometimes you just get lucky. Shall we believe as I did on that hot Chicago day that whatever just happened was a miracle? Or shall we, as my fleeting fat, flatbed driving friend insisted, that miracles are the stuff of dreamers, drinkers, and divinity students. For sober and sane people, the world operates according to a fixed order. God's hand is nowhere near. We would all be better off leaving such nonsensical talk of miracles to the unenlightened storybooks from which they came and where they best belong. This Thursday evening begins Hanukkah, the holiday of miracles. When you welcome Hanukkah into your home, when you light that first candle on your own in the company of loved ones or with a virtual community around you, I ask you to ask yourself the central question of the holiday, the question lurking beneath my exchange decades ago, the question asked by ABC's Al Michael 40 years ago this year, do you believe in miracles? The question, of course, is a question that's not Hanukkah's alone. Pesach has the 10 plagues and the splitting of the sea. Shavuot celebrates the supernatural revelation of God's will at Mount Sinai. Our biblical and rabbinic tradition does not lack for events incapable of being explained by natural or scientific laws. But it's Hanukkah, more than any other holiday, that is a festival that puts the idea of a miracle in Hebrew, nes, or plural, nisim, front and center. When we light the candles, we praise a God, she'asa nisim lavotenu, who performed miracles for our ancestors. When we recite the Amida, we'll add the beautiful prayer, al-hanisim, for the miracles God wrought on behalf of our ancestors of old. The miracle could be the victory of the small and scrappy Maccabees over their mighty and numerous Hasmonean oppressors. The miracle could be the Maccabees' willingness to maintain their faith in the face of assimilationist pressures arrayed against them. The miracle could be, as is stated in the Talmud, the cruise of oil which contained only enough oil for one day but lasted a full eight. There are many miracles of Hanukkah and you would be well within your rights to focus on whichever one works for you. But what you can't do, given the festival's singular focus on Nisim, on miracles, is avoid the central question. Do you or do you not believe in miracles? Before you weigh in, and certainly before you dismiss those Jews whose views differ from you, you should know that there are some fairly prominent Jewish thinkers who fall on both sides of the debate. As I taught in my Melton class this past week, the 13th century commentator, mystic, and legal scholar Rabbi Moses ben Nachman, Nachmanides, argued that belief in miracles is the underpinning of the entire Torah, and that the person who denies such a belief has no portion in it. The whole point of a life of faith, Nachmanides reasons, 
is to believe in a God who at any point can upend the laws of nature. There are miracles that are open. There are miracles that are hidden. But God's hand is everywhere. Everything is from God. And be it the splitting of a sea, the cruise of oil that lasted beyond what anyone believed, or the clean biopsy report, it's all proof positive of God's presence in this world. Interesting as Nachmanides' position on miracles may be, what makes his view really interesting is that no less than a century earlier, a scholar no less than Rabbi Moses ben Nachman Maimonides argued exactly the opposite. In biting language, Maimonides explains how the common masses are mistakenly inclined to attribute everything as miraculous. It is a simple-minded who enjoy nothing more then shunning reason and the natural order, Maimonides held fast to the belief of haolam kamin hago noheg, the world runs according to its natural order. Furthermore, as I learned from Rabbi Gordon Tucker this past week, we do Maimonides a great disservice if we believe that his rejection of miracles reflects merely a certain stick-in-the-mud rationalism. For Maimonides, moral agency itself is contingent on a belief in a causal, predictable, and determined order to the universe. To put it simply, if I believe that nature can be upended at any time by way of the divine impulse, then why be moral at all? Actions have consequences. We have to take responsibility for our choices. Ethics matter, and miracles were there the fly in that theological ointment. While Maimonides did have to contend with certain inexplicable passages like the splitting of the sea, a life of reason, a life of ethics, a life of faith means for Maimonides rejecting miracles. The debate between Nachmanides and Maimonides is well established in our tradition. It's a double helix, the DNA of our people. We have our naturalists, our rationalists, our Maimonides and Mordechai Kaplans, whose worldviews insist that everything falls within the natural order. We also have our mystics, those who see miracles in nature, people like our forefather Jacob who go to sleep and wake up sensing God's presence in every person in every place. For every prophet and saint, so too we have our fair share of this worldly, flatbed-driving rationalists. Speaking personally, I have a very hard time believing in miracles. My difficulty stems not from some complex philosophical argument. My difficulty in truth is more pastoral than theological. I've sat beside too many deathbeds, heard too many prayers of the righteous go unanswered, and seen too many souls taken before their time. After all, the flip side, the underbelly of a belief in miracles, is a haunting question of why God would deliver miracles to some, but not others, giving one a clean biopsy report, but not the other. And while the starting point and constant of my faith is that God is and will always be beyond my comprehension, I know what I know. And I know historically, personally, and presently that there are far too many people suffering in this world, far too many people in desperate need for miracles for me to believe in a God who would provide deliverance to some but withhold it from others. 
In that sense, I'm a little Maimonidean in that I still need to contend with the splitting of the sea, but otherwise, ha'olam kamin ha'go noheg, the world runs according to its natural order. And yet, and yet, 20 plus years and a whole lot of funerals later, I can also share that my faith is fairly unchanged from that of that newly married, newly minted rabbinical student standing that day at O'Hare. It was the 18th century founder of Hasidism, the Baal Shem Tov, who taught, the world is full of wonder and miracles, but man takes his little hand and covers his eyes and sees nothing. I believe that a life of faith is a willed choice, the decision to see the extraordinary in the ordinary, to look out at the world, at people, at the daily miracles of our lives and cultivate a sense of what Heschel called radical amazement. One need not have a maximalist view of miracles to see the miraculous in this world. In fact, it was another great scholar of Judaism, Max Kedushin, who coined the term normal mysticism to characterize the authentic nature of Jewish spirituality. It's a fascinating way to see the project of mitzvot, of Jewish ritual life. Every time we say, Baruch Adonai, blessed are you, Lord our God, over a piece of bread, over a cup of wine, over anything, we're taking the ordinary and we're making it extraordinary and we're bringing God into our everyday. We're seeing the miracles that abound everywhere and throughout our lives. We remove our hand from before our eyes to appreciate the wondrous that has been there all along, if only we would take notice. And friends, let me tell you, if there's ever been a time that we need to appreciate what we have, to elevate the ordinary and maybe even pray for the miraculous in the mundane, that time is now. None of us are hiking the Grand Canyon None of us are sitting in sanctuary filled with song and community. None of us are even able to welcome friends old and new to our Shabbat tables. Our spiritual selves have been circumscribed to a degree that precludes those expansions of the soul by which we may have defined our pre-COVID religious lives. Just before Shabbat, I had a painful exchange with a congregant about his sorrow of not being able even to perform the modest act of in-person prayer, so as to say Kaddish for a loved one. The miracles I seek right now, the miracles I'm praying for, they're altogether modest in nature. I pray for a return to normalcy. I pray for the hug of a friend. I pray for the ability to offer someone to taste something yummy on my plate. I pray to run late for a midtown meeting due to traffic. I pray to see the look on my wife's face when I come home for Shabbat dinner with unanticipated guests that I picked up after services. I'm not praying for big miracles right now. Small ones will do just fine. Frankly, I would take the miracle of boring if it were offered to me. But lacking even that miracle, I'll just have to make do and be sure to appreciate what I do have, the love of my family, the health of my children, and the blessing of modeling and teaching a faith and tradition that is in more, not less demand 
in these perilous times. And that, that's what will be in my thoughts this Thursday night as I light the first candle of Hanukkah. No splitting of the sea, no revelation at Mount Sinai. All I want for Hanukkah is the modest miracle that the reserve of oil within us lasts just a little longer than we might think possible, that we're able to muster light in the midst of this very dark winter, that we cultivate our ability to appreciate the wondrous in the familiar, the divine in the dull, and the miraculous in the mundane. It's not much, but it's not nothing. And this Hanukkah, maybe, just maybe, we will all just get lucky, and it will prove to be enough. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah.